Human beings who are advanced in consciousness are responsible, but not all of them are punishable. Those engaged in advanced pious activities are beyond punishment. Only those who engage in sinful activities are punishable. Therefore, the Vishnu Dutas particularly inquire about who is punishable and why Yamaraja has been designated to discriminate between who is punishable and who is not. How is one to be judged? What is the basis? What is the basic principle of authority? These are the questions raised by the Vishnu Dutas. Translation again. What is the process of punishing others? Who are the actual candidates for punishment? Are all karmis engaged in fruitive activities punishable? Or only some of them? Om Gyanachamanandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshunmilitanyena Tasmai Sri Gurudeva Maha Jai Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunya Chananda Sri Advaita Gadadhara Sri Vasadi Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare We have a situation here of surprise on all sides. The Yamadudas are surprised. How is it that we're being interfered with? This man is clearly sinful in the most disgusting, abominable way. We've never before been hindered in the execution of our duty on behalf of our master, Yamaraja. So, there was surprise on that side, and then there's surprise on the side of the Vishnu Dutas. The Vishnu Dutas are thinking, don't these foolish Yamadutas understand reality? Don't they understand that Ajavila has been chanting the holy name of Narayana? Even though unintentionally, he's been chanting, calling out for his son for some time. And especially, he's chanted at the time of death. So, what is the mystery here? So you have these two versions of being surprised. And then you also have Two versions of beauty. The Yamadudas are extremely ugly. So ugly that they scare you to death. <laughs> and the Vishnu Dudas are extremely beautiful. So beautiful that even the Yamadudas are impressed. You persons, you four persons, are certainly so beautiful and stunningly so. But why are you interfering? The Vishnu Dutta's beauty 
is because they have the liberation of sarupya. They have the liberation of having the same bodily form as Narayana. Therefore, they have four hands and they have the beauty of Narayana's form. But as Srila Prabhupada points out in the purport, they never think they are Narayana. They always think we are the servants of Narayana. So there are different types of liberation, as you know, that you can get in Vaikuntha, Sarupya, to have the same form as Lord Narayana, Sharsti, to share the same opulences as Narayana, Salokya, to live on the same planet as Lord Narayana, and Samipya, to be an associate of Lord Narayana. These are spiritual liberations. They're not the same as liberation in the ordinary sense, which means freedom from material existence and entry into Brahman. Now, that is Mukti, and these are called these Vaikuntha liberations are called Vimukti, special liberation. But the Vaishnava doesn't want either. Certainly not liberation into Brahman, as you know, because where's the devotional service? Service requires differentiation between the server, the served and the servitor, between the beloved and the lover. But in Brahman, artificially, that is not there. In this way, Brahman is not your constitutional position. And a devotee actually views any situation, even liberation into Brahman, without devotional service. A devotee considers that to be hell. Kaivalyam Narakayate. Prabodhananda Saraswati says. When impersonalists, mystic yogis strive for with austerity and knowledge of what is spirit and what is matter is looked down upon so much by bhaktas that the bhaktas consider it hell. But if there's an opportunity to serve Krishna, no matter where it is, the Vaishnavas consider that to be more than paradise. So everything depends on devotional service. The spiritual world means devotional service. And where there is no devotional service, that's hell. And where there is devotional service, that is more than heaven. We are the devotional service group. So much so that we're not so concerned as to what is heaven and what is hell. As long as there is service to Krishna, service that Krishna wants us to do, we consider that to be more than liberation, more than heaven. That's why Lord Chaitanya says, 
मम जननी जननीश्वरे बबतन बबतिये अहिं चुकी चुए। Birth after birth, I don't mind as long as I have devotional service to the lotus feet of the Lord. So these Vishnu dutas have the Vaikuntha liberation of the same form as Lord Narayan. And so they are stunningly beautiful. And as you pointed out, the Yama dutas are stunningly ugly, terrifying, <laughs> terrifyingly ugly. And now they're having a dialogue, a discussion over where should the departing soul of a Jamila go. You have to go somewhere. Life is about destinations. We think that life is simply about decisions and choices, right? I decide to take this job. I decide to move to this country. I decide to marry this one. Now we decide to have children. We decide. We decide to. Have a property investment. We decide to get a better car. We decide to do this. We decide to do that. So we mistakenly think that life is just a series of decisions. That's true, but in a limited sense. We don't understand how we have been victimized by a materialistic culture, which. Seeks to implant in you the delusion that life is about you and your choices, or life is about you and the choices that your family and friends and associates push upon you. In any case, directly or indirectly, it's all about you. What do you want? Or, what does your family, what do your friends want? That's it. That's life. And you make decisions to please yourself, as they say, to suit yourself. I shall have this hobby. I shall go here. I shall enjoy in this way. <laughs> That's the Western way, and of course the traditional Indian way is. I shall do what my parents say. I shall do what grandmother says. I shall do what society wants me to do to be to be known as respectable. Still, it's all about you, either in the limited individualistic sense or in the expanded, the extended individualistic sense. It's all about you and your decisions about you. Either made just by yourself, Australian style, <laughs> or in, under pressure from others, Indian style. <laughs> Still, it's about you, and this is a great mistake because life is not simply about decisions or a collection of decisions. Whether, as we said, the decisions are about you. Directly or indirectly, no. Life is mostly about destinations, and this is what the Yama Dutas 
and the Vishnu Dutas are debating. What is the suitable destination for the departing soul of a Jamil? Yes, a Jamila made some decisions, right? He chose to live with a lady of abominable activities. He committed abominable activities to support his family. He ate the food by food cooked by her, which is considered also abominable because the consciousness of the cook is transferred through the food. So he's just drowning in sin. And then he had ten children by her. Even into his 80s, he still was having children. So the Yamadutas have no doubt. We know his destination. It's more than obvious. This is a, this is a clear-cut case, if there ever is a clear-cut case. This is a case without any doubt. We're dragging him to the court of Yamaraja, and we know what the judgment's going to be. There's no doubt about it. He's going, this Ajamila is going to hellish conditions. So they were quite convinced that's his destination. And the Vishnu Dutas were convinced that he has another destination. That's why they're there. Somehow he chanted the name of Narayana. So therefore, <laughs> here we are <laughs> to take him to the destination of those who chant Narayana at the time of death. And actually he's been chanting all quite some time in his life because he's been calling out to his son Narayana but especially calling out to him at the moment of death. So we're here. So they begin, the Vishnu Dutas, begin to interrogate the Yamadutas. You say that you're acting responsibly, but do you actually know what you're doing? It's quite intimidating if it's ever happened to you that someone says, well, do you know what you're doing? <laughs> Maybe it's at the workplace, right? <laughs> you don't want to hear that. I know from the IT wallas that they never admit they don't know something. <laughs> right? Always delay and then stay up, stay awake all night researching and the next morning come back, as I thought, as, as I already knew. I just wanted to think about it more and make sure, but I already knew the solution. <laughs> but you never, the IT wallers never admit they don't know. <laughs> we don't want to be exposed as being ignorant. We don't want to be exposed as not being experienced. We don't want to be exposed as lacking in any way. But the Vishnu Dutas are putting these questions before the Yama Dutas. As you might have heard yesterday, 
Sri Vishnu Duta Uchu. The blessed messengers of Lord Vishnu spoke. If you are actually servants of Yamaraja, you must explain to us the meaning of religious principles and the symptoms of irreligion. The Vishnu Dudas are testing the Yamadudas. And there's a reason for the test, because it seems the Yamadudas don't understand the most confidential principles of existence. Principles the Vishnu Dudas understood very well. But the Yamadudas were sure they were on top of all the possibilities of existence. We've been we're servants of Yamaraja. How could there be any doubt? Never before has the work of Yamaraja been interfered with. So you beautiful persons owe us an explanation. Why are you stopping us? And the Vishnu Dutas, as we said, are thinking, you ugly persons owe us an explanation. Meanwhile, Ajamila is laying there in an unconscious state as this debate is going on. <clears throat> what is the destination of Ajamila going to be? This discussion between the Vishnu Dutas and Yamadutas will clarify that destination. So to in today's verse, the Vishnu Dutas continue with their interrogation. And they're asking very direct, very pertinent, very necessary questions. What's the process of punishing others? Who are the actual candidates for punishment? Are all kindness engaged in fruit of activities punishable or only some of them? They're testing the Yamadutas. And they have a reason to test the Yamadutas. Because it seems the Yamadutas don't know what they're doing. But you have to sympathize with the Yamadutas. This is the first time their work has ever been interrupted. You know how you hate to be interfered with. Whether at work or at home with your family, your will must be executed. <laughs> And it's very upsetting when someone so blatantly, so markedly prevents your will from happening. Everyone likes to have, a, have their say in such a way that your will is carried out. You would like, you would like that someone considers your will is my desire. So you hate to be interfered with. And you love it. The conditioned soul loves it when he or she can act as Ishwar, as controller, without any impediment. Isn't that nice? <laughs> Some days it seems are like that, right? Everything goes your way. <laughs> At the workplace, 
in the home, your will is acknowledged, respected, even worshipped, and carried out. Remember Kamsa's discussion with Akura? Kamsa's recruiting of Akura to go to Vrindavan to bring back Krishna and Balaram? He especially selected Akura because Akura was known to be venerable amongst the Yadu dynasty. So Akura came to see him and Kamsa told him, I've got no better friend than you in the Yadu dynasty. I'm taking shelter of you like Indra takes shelter of Vishnu. And as we spoke before, Kamsa had no, nothing but hatred for Vishnu, but he's presenting himself in that way to Akura. I'm taking shelter of you just as Indra takes shelter of Vishnu. Actually, Kamsa considered Vishnu to be useless and Indra, okay, he has some importance. <laughs> he's like a typical person today who know something about Vedic culture, the devatas, but thinks, oh, there's so many devatas. Vishnu, Shiva, Brahma, Durga, Ganesh. Take your pick. <laughs> and at yoga schools, where a smattering of hodgepodge Hindu talk is often presented, you're instructed. I know, I directly heard from many students. You're instructed at choose whatever personality you want. Whatever personality you're attracted to. Shiva, Durga, Ganesh, Krishna, Rama. Doesn't matter. They're all portals to the divine. So you just pick the one that you're attracted to and focus on that personality as a meditational aid, as a gateway to Brahman. Because they're all equal. Of course, any genuine reading of Bhagavad Gita will show you this is not true. But it's so difficult for people to find a genuine version of Bhagavad Gita. Where Krishna says, of course, Aham Adhyaki Devana. I'm the origin of the demigods. Why is it so difficult to take Krishna's words as they are? This is the strength of our existence, our spiritual existence. We take Krishna's words straight. So, back to Kamsa Nakura. Kamsa presented his plan, remember? You take this chariot, go pick up Krishna Balaram from Vrindavan, bring them to Mathura. I've got the elephant waiting for them, Kublai He'll stomp them to death. That's most likely what's going to happen. And if somehow or other they get past Kublai Api, the mad elephant, I've got two gigantic wrestlers, Chanura and Mushtika, and under the guise of a wrestling match, 
They will destroy these two boys. Did Kamsa finish there? No, he went on. And after Krishna and Balaram are killed, then I'll kill Vasudev. I'll deal with Nandamaraj and the cowherd boys who come from Vrindavan. I'll take care of them swiftly. I'll dispatch them. And then my own father, Ugrasena, he's a rival to the throne. I'll wipe him out. Why just my father? Also my father's brother, too. They're all impediments. So he had this grand plan. And I've got alliances with powerful, powerful kings. Jarasandha especially. He mentioned a whole list of demoniac persons who are ferociously anti-Krishna. So my kingdom will have no impediments due to my alliances, due to my killing my enemies. So what was Akura's response? Your plan is excellently made. Kamsa had such pride in his plan. It's going to happen. I've got everything all figured out. And then Kamsa expressed the essential motivation and desire of the conditioned soul. After he presented the plan, he said, it will be very wonderful to rule the world without any obstruction. You can feel that welling up inside you. It'll be very pleasant to always have my way without any interference. <laughs> That's what people are thinking when they say, good day. <laughs> May your day be without any interference to your plans. Good day. <laughs> Of course, in India, it's much more refined. Swagatam. <laughs> in any case, whether pious or impious, everyone in material existence wants their will to be carried out. But what is Krishna's will? This is what the Vishnu Dudas are going to get. This is the point they're going to get to. What is Krishna's will? Even Arjuna, in the beginning of Bhagavad Gita, had difficulty understanding what is Krishna's will. Arjuna thought that to be not, to be violent was a dharma, was against dharma. This whole battle, Arjuna was thinking in the beginning of Bhagavad Gita, is against religious principles. I can't do it. But then Krishna explained to him what is dharma, reminding Arjuna what is the real religious principle. By Arjuna's listening to Krishna, he became an actual dharmi, a follower of dharma, not a concocted one. So in Bhagavad Gita, you learn that Krishna is the source of all morality. Krishna is the 
decider of what is dharma. Arjuna was bewildered by Krishna's arrangement to teach us a lesson, as you know. Therefore, we take Bhagavad Gita straight as it is. In one purport, Srila Prabhupada points out that you take refuge in Krishna, you surrender to Krishna, meaning taking shelter of Krishna, or you surrender to the principles of material nature. That's something to think about. I think I'm free, I think I'm being creative, I think I'm being respectable, being responsible at work, with family, friends. I'm known to be a good person who tries to do good. But we're just surrendered to the principles of material nature. And what does that mean? As a result, as a destination, it means rotating in one body after another under the strict control of nature's laws. So we need to think about how we are surrendered to the principles, or you could also say to the machine of material nature. Just like when you go to work, you're part of a machine. <laughs> Whether you work for the government or corporation or business, you are embedded in a machine. Of course, you may be the proprietor of the enterprise, but still you're embedded in systems of cause and effect. And you're trying to maneuver through that ocean of causes and effects to get a profit. So in either case, whether you're the proprietor of the enterprise or you're an employee, staff member, salaried person, you're embedded in a machine. You can see that. I have to go to work this time. Oh, I'm working at home. I have to be online at this time. Send the children out of the room, please. <laughs> You're embedded in a machine. But what about the machine of material nature? Do we feel we're embedded in that? Because that is the predominating reality. You have to go to work at a certain time, you have to be online at a certain time. Similarly, material nature enforces upon you much bigger consequences. You have to get old now, or you have to get sick now, or you have to die now, and you have to take birth now. That is the reality. Surrendered to the principles of material nature. So in this purport today, we find out who is the real minority group. Depending on what country you're in, there are different minority groups, and they don't like to be mistreated. But the real minority group is 
the conditioned soul. As Prabhupada writes in the purport, only a small fraction of living entities, perhaps one-fourth, are in the material world. So we kind of have the feeling that, well, we made a mistake, and so everyone's made a mistake, and <laughs> everyone's, mostly everyone's in the material world with us. But the reality is the opposite. As Prabhupada writes, there are innumerable living entities, the majority of whom are in the spiritual world and are nitya mukta, everlastingly liberated. There's no question of judging these liberated living beings. So we are amongst the small group of living entities that have made a major mistake. But that mistake can be rectified by understanding what is Dharma. And in this age of Kali, the supreme Dharma is the chanting of the Hare Krishna mantra. And to chant the Hare Krishna mantra effectively, we need some lifestyle adjustment. We want to make our whole life, we want to shape our whole life so that it produces a result of quality chanting. So the Yamadutas have some explaining to do. The Vishnadutas already know who's right. <laughs> but they're teaching the Yamadutas something. And you'll hear how the Yamadutas report back to Yamaraj and they're totally bewildered. These guys interfere with us. We're carrying out your order. There must be something wrong with you. <laughs> We're carrying out your order, but your order couldn't be fulfilled. Therefore, the one who gives the order, you, must, must be deficient. We never realized that your order is fallible. This is news to us. So they're going to go back to Yamaraja and put it on Yamaraja. The Vishnadudas are putting it on the Yamadudas. The Yamadudas will then go back, they'll report back to their lead <laughs> and put it on him. Yamaraja, are you genuine? <laughs> so this is quite a scene. All caused by Ajamil, the undeniably sinful person, happening to chant the four syllables of Narayana at the time of death. It set off this huge event, this huge happening. This is the power of the Holy Name. And this is why we're so eager to chant Hare Krishna properly. So as you go deeper into this history of the life of Ajahnil, you learn so much from this very important incident. <clears throat> All right, any questions? Yes. You, you were saying, you know, um, we should arrange our life in such a way that we can chant. 
with quality. That's our constant goal. Yes. Manushanam Sahasreshu Kashtin Yatadis Siddhaya Yatatamapi Siddhana Kashtin Maam Veti Takrata. Very good, you're referring to that verse in Bhagavad Gita where Krishna says, Out of thousands of persons, one may be striving for perfection. Out of those few who strive for perfection, fewer still attain perfection. And out of those who attain perfection, those very, very few, hardly one knows me in truth. So what's happening here? What are you doing here? What am I doing here? What is everyone else doing here? Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Is Krishna himself breaking Krishna's rules? Krishna says, let everything be very strict. It's a rare soul who will come to me. But that same Krishna comes as Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and says, flood the world with Krishna consciousness. So Mahaprabhu is Krishna breaking Krishna's rules. Krishna says, Brahmabhuta prasanatma nasrochati nakamshati. First, come to the Brahmabhuta platform, understanding and realizing your spirit soul. Be always joyful based on that knowledge that you are spirit soul, prasanatma. No more lamenting for material loss. No more rejoicing in material gain. And you see all living entities as equal. Then you can approach bhakti. So how many of you were like that before you coming to bhakti? <laughs> what happened? Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Sri Nityananda Prabhu, they're Krishna and Balaram, giving Krishna away in the most ignorant, dark age. That's why the Shastra says late in the in the Srimad Bhagavatam it is said great saints and sages worship Kali Yuga because in spite of all the horrors of Kali Yuga pandemics the nuclear threat so much lust greed anger in spite of all that, you can easily attain the perfection of life just by chanting Hare Krishna. You know, at the end of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna tells Arjuna, don't explain this secret of bhakti to anyone 
who is not austere, who is envious of me. In other words, Krishna is saying persons have to have certain qualifications if they want to hear about this secret of Bhagavad Gita. But then why are we working so hard to inform others about what Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita? Basically, Krishna is saying in, at the end of the Gita, this message is for devotees or someone with, a elevate, with an elevated lifestyle who can appreciate what is a devotee. But 99.999% of the people today aren't like that, no matter where they're from, Australia, India, here, there, everywhere. No one has a clue of what to do and why. How to be a dharmi. There's just some folktale knowledge, some ritualistic knowledge that's very scant at best. Or there's just complete out-and-out animal life. But in this horrible day and age, we can attain the perfection of life just by chanting Hare Krishna. And to chant Hare Krishna properly, with quality, requires lifestyle adjustment, requires the association of devotees. Because when you chant, what are you saying? Please engage me in your service. So then where's the devotional service? It's like child calling for mother. Okay, where's the mother? <laughs> Chanting Hare Krishna means you want devotional service. You're begging Krishna. I've served the illusory energy for so long. Now please engage me in your internal potency. So a devotee means devotional service, not a ritualistic believer. The more service you have, the more wealthy you are in the true sense. Very good question. Anything else? Yes? Thank you, Maharaj, for nice class. Uh, my question regarding uh, this Ajamila moment, like he momentarily forgot Krishna and that cost him a life. He what? A momentarily forgot Krishna when he saw the, the activity happening. As I explained the other day, Ajamila was not from a Vaishnava family. He was from a ritualistic Brahmana family, Karmakanda, with a smattering, a little dab of Vishnu Bhakti, Narayana Bhakti. But that was not the main focus. Narayana was not the main focus. The main thing was being a Paka Brahmana, <laughs> in the ritualistic sense. Sattvaguna, mode of goodness, which you don't see today. <laughs> I always tell the story of how I was once on, what do you call those motorized rickshaws in Delhi? Yeah, auto rickshaw. And so I had to go somewhere. And so we agreed on the price, of course. And then we got to the destination. And of course, the 
the driver thought, oh, he, he's a foreigner, he doesn't know. <laughs> of course, I've been going to India since 1977, before so most of you were born. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, no, fixed price. I, I gave him, I gave him the amount of rupees we agreed on, but he still, he, he wouldn't, <laughs> and then he did the ultimate convincing proof that I should do what he said. He reached under his dirty t-shirt and pulled out a Brahmin thread. <laughs> that was going to convince me. <laughs> he did it so solemnly and so gravely like <laughs> <laughs> it is so necessary for us to teach persons what is real dharma. How do you respond to that? Huh? It's interesting. How do you respond to that? To what? To the. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I just walked away. <laughs> wasn't wasn't worthy of a response. <laughs> Anything else? Yes. Well, in the class you mentioned about uh, that we want to have the things as per our will. We want to have the things as per our will, but what is Krishna's will? Yes, isn't it so? Generally, most men marry thinking, my will will be carried out, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> One senior Vaishnavi was telling me a week ago or so, uh, these men, when they marry, they have really no idea what they're getting into. <laughs> but their vision is clouded by you know, the hopes that my will will be carried out. <laughs> One devotee who spent two years in the Melbourne Brahmacharya Ashram. And then he married. He told me that after two years in the Brahmacharya Ashram, I wanted more freedom. <laughs> so I thought that to marry would be more a free life <laughs> than in the ashram, where you have to be rostered, right? Right, Savior Bhagavan in the ashram is a roster. You do this, you do that. These are your duties, those are your duties. So he said, I thought. Yes, it's like that. Yes. So I said, okay, two years in the ashram. Enough. Now I'll be I will marry and my will shall be carried out. So then after five years of marriage, he told me. So I calculated now, for, after five years, that 95% of the things I do with my life 
on my wife's decision. <laughs> so yes, that's the desire of the conditioned soul, whether male, female, young, old, here, there, India, Australia, my will shall be carried out. <laughs> but as we become better devotees, the emphasis of our life switches and we want Krishna's desire to be carried out. We become servants of Krishna's will. And that's what happened with Arjuna. Yes? Just further than Maharaj, sometimes the situation is that we are confused and then we, we go to the devotees and one, one devotee will say one option and another senior devotee will say another option. So how do we know about our... Give me an example. <laughs> <laughs> There are disagreements about how to serve Krishna best. But at least the disagreements are about how to serve Krishna, I would hope. That's a different kind of disagreement then. I think this is the best investment property. No, that is the best investment property. <laughs> I have a Toyota, you have a Mercedes. Oh. <laughs> no, disagreements about serving Krishna are spiritual. And as we become more mature devotees, we learn how to handle those disagreements about how to serve Krishna best. It takes maturity. But neophyte devotees naturally take such disagreements about serving Krishna they take it to be very severe and very unsettling. The temple should spend on this. No, the temple should spend on that. Oh. <laughs> the young devotees tremble. Like, what is this disagreement amongst senior Vaishnavas? You have to see everything in the perspective of Krishna's service. If you have some doubt, if it's a really major, crucial situation, you can always ask your spiritual master. But when it comes to practical affairs in this world, there'll be different opinions. Just like amongst householders. You should send your children to middle park school. No, 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 you should homeschool your children at home. <laughs> right? It's all different opinions. Some householders, they visualize, my child will be a future Shukadev Goswami. <laughs> <laughs> Other householders say, well, no, no, my child will be spiritual, but mainly my child will be Bill Gates. <laughs> And another household would say, my child will be Shukadev Goswami and Bill Gates. <laughs> so on and on this goes. <laughs> so the temple leaders and senior devotees know that never get involved in a debate about what householders should do with their children. 
because they're just different conceptions. And that's part of the joy of household life. You can make your decisions <laughs> and others will talk about you. <laughs> Why is that family doing that? Doesn't make any sense at all. They want to educate their children at home. The, the wife can't handle being a mother and a teacher at the same time. <laughs> that, that's someone else. They're educating their children at home. How wonderful. <laughs> There's all these disagreements about how to raise a family in Christmas service. But at least they're thinking about Christmas service. Just like you marry and someone says, oh, don't have children right away. Just make sure that things become more peaceful. Others say, no, 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 no. Better start now when you're very young. <laughs> so much advice is there. <laughs> you have to be sincere and always keep Krishna's service as the topmost concern. And Krishna's in your heart. He'll help. You just have to be sincere. I want to do what's best for Krishna's pleasure. That motivation, sooner or later, always comes out on top of everything else. Last question. Yes? Um, you mentioned from Brahmana, ritualistic family. Ajamela was yeah. from a ritualistic family and uh, in young age he followed some rituals and then uh, in his youth he got diverted. In youth he was? In, in youth he got diverted. Family, and he was from a ritualistic family. In young age he followed some rituals but later he got diverted. Yes, his uh, family as I said was not, it, it, as Prabhupada explains it, Ajamila is showing how precarious or how shaky a status in simply the mode of goodness is in the material world. Sapaguna is not a firm situation because the modes of nature are always changing. So Ajamila was not a fixed up, fully focused Vaishnava. And therefore, he was literally carried away by Maya when seeing that scene, that scenario. It was overpowering for him. But even though he was coming from a ritualistic Brahmana background, mode of goodness, but not, not a bhakta, still there was some mention of Narayana but sort of, Narayana was always in the back seat of the car, not the, not the driver's seat, just always supplementary. But that background of a little bit of Narayana came back to him. This shows how affectionate and how protective is the Lord. Just a little bit saved him from the greatest disaster. Just a little bit of Narayana Puja 
So then, just think, what will be the result of those who spend their whole life serving Narayana, serving Krishna? How much greater their result will be? Does that answer your question? Mm-hmm. If I can't hear, he'll repeat. So, uh, what was so special about Rajamila that he got mercy of Narayana at the time of death? Because uh, he got diverted, he did not follow it. Um, so he was being very ritualistic. Um, he uh, did not have desire to uh, serve the Lord. Um, he did not have association. Um, also, he was not practicing any devotional service. So what was so special about Rajamila that he got Yes, that's what the Yamadudas want to know. <laughs> What's so special about this sinful wretch? <laughs> that four Vishnu Dutas show up. <laughs> yes, that is the question. <laughs> and the answer is simply he said Narayana at the time of death. This shows you how affectionate the Supreme Personality of Godhead is. That even someone like Ajamila, who managed to chant without offense at the time of death, was rescued by the Vishnu Dudas. So just think, you have an opportunity to get much more. The whole sixth cano is about protection of devotees. Krishna is independent. He does what he likes. Somehow at the time of death, Ajamila managed to chant the four syllables Narayana. That was the game changer. But don't try to imitate. (laughs) I can spend my whole life uh, in materialistic immersion and then At the time of death, I'll say Krishna somehow or other, and I'll and 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 I'll I'll be rescued. You don't want to gamble in that way. Why not spend your whole life immersed in bhakti? So much so that at the time of death, in reciprocation to your service. Even if your body and mind are so deranged by dying, as Srila Prabhupada explained, Krishna can force himself into your mind in reciprocation to your lifetime of service. So that's what we want to do. We don't want to gamble that I'll just do what I like all my life and then at the time of death I'll happen to say, Hare Krishna. We want to engage in Krishna's service so that Krishna will recognize us and at the time of death, even if our bodily functions are disturbed, Krishna will force himself into our mind. All right, thank you very much. Hare Krishna, Lord Shiva.